Hello and welcome to Military Mantra. In this interview, we have today a former Navy SEAL operator, Remy Adeleke. He is also an author, a filmmaker, and an actor. And in this interview, we'll try to understand his journey of joining the Navy SEAL, life within the Special Forces, and various life lessons that he learned from his battlefield. So, thank you, Remy, for coming on this session, and welcome. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, Remy, if you could tell us, you know, how was your journey before joining the military? And, you know, what was your motivation back then to join the Navy SEALs? Yeah, my journey was pretty, uh, uh, it was pretty chaotic, to say the least. I uh, was born in Nigeria um, uh, through some circumstances uh, with the Nigerian government. My father died and my mom uh, and I moved with my brother to the United States. Uh, I grew up in the Bronx, Bronx, New York City. And I uh, got involved in a lot of bad stuff, selling drugs, um, running scams, doing anything I could to make money. Um, I ended up getting involved in a deal with a drug dealer that went bad. I sold them some products that were supposed to last for a certain amount of time, only lasted for a fraction of that time. And uh, essentially, my life was threatened. But uh, the good thing about that, that was a huge wake up call for me. Um, that's when I decided, you know what, I can't live this life anymore. If I do, I'm going to end up dead or in prison. So I made the drug dealer back his money. And then I decided I'm not going to, I'm walking away from this, this illegal life. And I did. And for six months, I just sat in my apartment, my mom, well, my mom's apartment and mm -hmm. just tried to figure out, think what I was going to do. I didn't want to go to college. My brother was in college at the time. I didn't want to go to college. And, uh, I just kept on thinking, thinking, thinking. And finally, you know, through divine intervention, I felt this presence, this voice tell me, you know, you need to join the military. And that was totally foreign to who I was because I hated the, I hated the U.S. government. I hated the police and I associated anybody in the uniform as the police. Mm -hmm. I didn't like authority. I like my clothes back. Oh, my, my, my hat's backwards and my clothes baggy. I still wear my hat backwards. You can't do that in the military. And uh, I, I didn't want to be in it. But the more I looked around my situation, I said, you know, what else am I going to do with my life? My life has amounted to pretty much nothing. So what else am I going to do? And I might as well try it out. So that's what kind of began my journey. Mm -hmm. um, now, the reason why I uh, chose well, back for a second. So I went to uh, the recruiter's office first. I went to the Marine Corps recruiter's office and uh, there was nobody in there. So I walked down the hall to the Navy recruiter's office because I had heard about Navy SEALs through uh, a film called The Rock. That was my first time I was exposed to Navy SEALs. And, uh, and so that's when I figured, all right, I'm going to join the Navy and be a SEAL. But I was totally unqualified, didn't have the academic scores. I was skinny. I mean, I was just totally out of shape. And then uh, I almost couldn't get into the Navy because I had a criminal record, which I didn't know I had. I had two warrants off my arrest. And um, the recruiter, God bless her heart, she would die two years later of an autoimmune disease. But my recruiter, she uh, took me to both judges, um, advocated on my behalf, asked both judges to clear my record. Both judges did. And I just had to pay court fines and court fees. And then, uh, you know, that's kind of how I got into the Navy. Um, mm -hmm. So it was really, like I said, my opening it was a chaotic path uh, into the Navy, um, but it was a path that was necessary and it made me appreciate my time in the Navy even more because, again, the Navy gave me a second chance at life. Like, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I wouldn't have my family. I wouldn't, you know, 
have turned my life around if it wasn't for the Navy. Um, so that was that was everything leading up to my to me joining. Got it. So Remy, I was reading upon you. You know, um, your dad was from Nigeria, from the royal family. So you went yeah. from there, then you migrated to US. So did the hardship that you faced as a childhood? So did that help you eventually become you know much more stronger emotionally? Oh, you- absolutely, absolutely. You know, I have uh, half siblings uh, who are older than me, and well, you know, 15, 20 years older than me, and uh, they had because my, my my you know my dad was a chief, which is royalty in the yeah. Europe tribe, and he was very wealthy. Um, they lived a, a, a easier life a way easier life than I did. And so fast forward to, you know, me uh, um, going to the Bronx, it was really hard. I had like, it's a place where you have to fight to survive. And so I had to learn early on that you can't quit. You know, you gotta keep pushing. And then my mother, you know, God bless my mom. She was a woman of perseverance. You know, she would work multiple jobs to, to, you know, provide for my brother and I. You know, there were nights when she didn't have enough food to feed herself. She had just enough food to feed my brother and I, so she wouldn't eat, you know. And and so seeing that perseverance every day, not her not quitting, not giving up, life being hard, her being a, a single mom, like that just kind of rubbed off on me. And then being in the environment that I was in, which was really hard and dangerous, that kind of it hardened me in a good way. So by the time I got into the Navy, it was just like it was like a cakewalk, Navy boot camp. But then when I got into SEAL training, it wasn't it wasn't exponentially easier. But because of how hard my life had been, I was used to a hard life. So mm-hmm. SEAL training wasn't again it wasn't exponentially easier, but it was easier in the sense that I, my mind had already been fortified. And you know, SEAL training is all mental. You know, physically, every person that shows up to SEAL training physically has what it takes because you have to go through extensive, you know, background, medical and fitness tests. So once you pass those tests, you essentially have told the Navy that you could physically make it through SEAL training. The question then becomes, do you have what it takes mentally? And my mind had been mentally fortified because of what I had gone through growing up in the Bronx, fighting, getting beat up, getting robbed, you know all of that stuff, my mind had been kind of fortified. And so when I got the SEAL training, again, it wasn't really, it wasn't exponentially easy, but I was like, oh, I could take, I could take this beating, I could take this abuse, I could take being called names. I could, yeah, I mean, it's happened to me my whole life. So, yeah. Got it. So uh, Remy, if you could also uh, explain to us, you know, how was the journey of becoming a Navy SEAL? Because I understand the first time that you attempted, you were actually a non-swimmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I first went to SEAL training, um, I I had just learned in order to get into SEAL training, you got to pass a swim test, which I passed, barely passed. And um, but I didn't know that you had to know how to swim with fins. And so when I got to SEAL training, I had to train with fins and we would have to do a two month time ocean swim once a week. And I failed that miserably. Um, instead of swimming 85 minutes, I was swimming 120 minutes, which was like, ridiculously long and that was hard on my body because not because of the, ex- the exertion but mainly because of the cold because the pacific ocean in california is freezing mm. cold all year round 
And so, you know, when you're meant to be in the water for 85 minutes, but you're in the water for 120 minutes, then hypothermia sets in. And uh, by the end of every swim, I was either borderline hypothermic or I had hypothermia, you know? And so the, the swimming was, a, was the hardest part of, of the training for me, the ocean swims. And, uh, and yeah, I, after I made it through hell week, um, with, uh, my, my, uh, with one of my classes, um, uh, the instructors decided we're not going to let you continue on a trainer right now because because we see that you have what it takes up here. We just need to teach you how to swim. So um, after I made hell week, they put me into a swim program. As we call it brown shirt rollback, but they really worked with me on my swimming. And then once I uh, once I, uh, I, I I got it down and I passed my first swim, then I, I started with. Uh, another class after they finished Hell Week. So I didn't have to go through Hell Week again. I mm. got to pick up and then you know, I went into dive phase. Um, and so, yes, swimming was a challenge for me. But, you know, I tell people all the time, I was actually having this conversation with my wife about an hour ago. Okay. You know, all of us have deficiencies in life. Um, you know, none of us are perfect. And on your work, on your journey towards your dream, you will have some type of deficiency that can hold you back. And you have to make one or two decisions. Either you throw your hands up and you say, you know what, I had this deficiency, which means maybe this dream isn't meant for me, or I'm going to do the extra, extra hard work in order to overcome my deficiency so that I can achieve my dream. And that's essentially what I had to do. I just had to do the extra, extra, extra hard work in order to overcome the swimming, you know, uh, uh, the, my lack of swimming, my, my, my inability to swim. I had to really work on that in order to, uh, get in and get through. Got it. So, uh, Remy, if you could also speak about your experience in the health speed and, you know, uh, how did you actually overcome that? Yeah, so, um, yeah, Hell Week is extremely, I mean, it's probably the toughest week in training. Six days, starts on Sunday, ends on Friday. You get two hours of sleep on Wednesday, two hours of sleep on Thursday, and they keep you wet and cold and wet the entire time. Um, it's just brutal, man. It's nonstop brutality. It's, and that's where we lose the most guys, are, you know, it's, it's during Hell Week. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of, um, it was hard, but I somewhat enjoyed it. You know, I, I, I enjoyed it because I was every day, every minute that passed, I felt, and guys were quitting around me. It just empowered me more because it's like, here's this guy who's taller than me, stronger than me, a better swimmer than me. And, and he quit and I'm still here. So it was like, it was the cool thing about it was that I, I had a, a constant visual of, um, of, of, uh, of success and failure. And when I saw people failing and quitting, it empowered me because it kind of gave me the motivation to keep going on. It essentially said to me, you were better. You outlasted that man. And you outlast another man, you outlast another man, you outlast another man. So it really helped boost my confidence. So, but that won't take away from my hours. I mean, my my lowest core temperature uh, during, you know, ever in my entire life was during hell. We dropped down to 88.7 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Now, 97.1 degrees Fahrenheit is the normal body temperature. 88.7, that's extreme hypothermia. People die from that. So that was my uh, my lowest temperature in my entire life was during Hell Week. Um, I had patches of flesh on my thighs that were gone, skin and flesh from chafing, extremely painful. Um, it was the coldest I ever been in my entire life. 
um, it was bad. It was, it was, I almost died the first time I went through hell week, actually. I, I ended up in the ICU for four days. So it's a brutal, brutal week. Mm-hmm. Got it. So Remy, as you spoke about, you know, the mental capabilities, that the more stronger you are mentally, easier it would yeah. become. So how can somebody, you know, uh, develop those skills so that they become mentally strong, according to you? Uh, you know, there's a few ways. One is you have to put yourself in challenging situations. You know, so I get this question a lot from kids. They're like, how can I get more mentally tough? And, and I tell them, well, um, it doesn't always have to be a, something physical that you do. And I tell them, I say, it could be, what if, if you have a paper, uh, if your teacher gives you a paper and, say, and, and that teacher tells you your paper is done in two weeks, how about you do it in two days? Mm-hmm. How about you challenge yourself? It's always essentially all it is, is putting yourself in challenging situations, you know, where you're always growing, you're always pushing, 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 pushing. And as you do that, then, you know, and when you find yourself in a challenging situation that's out of your control, you know, it's it's easier to handle it because you've already tort not tortured, but you've already kind of challenged yourself mentally in your control. Right. So the more you do that, it's like working out, it's like fitness, you know, the more you do push-ups, the more push-ups you're going to be able to do. Right. And so that's one way. Another day, you know, another thing is positive self-talk. You know, so often we as human beings, it's just interwoven in our DNA to have negative self-talk. We say, I'm going to be late. This is not going to, I'm not going to be good enough. This is not going to be a good podcast. Uh, you know, my wife is going to be upset with me. This person is going to leave me. My kids aren't good today. You know, the list goes on and on. I'm just paraphrasing, but the list goes on and on of the negative self-talk that we say to ourselves throughout the day. And so it's essentially, you know, how do you get mentally tough? It's by, it's by combating the negative with the positive. It's, you know, positive affirmations. I am good enough. I will win. This will be a good day. It's not, you're not saying positive lies. You're saying positive truths, right? Mm-hmm. And by doing that, that's another way to help you grow mentally and be mentally stronger or stronger. And, and then, you know, along those lines, as soon as a negative thought comes in your mind, it's attacking it right away. It's not waiting and allowing it to linger or considering it. It's attacking it right away. So that, mm-hmm. that way it doesn't grow. Because once a negative thought gets, it's like a little seed. Once yeah. it gets into your head, it, 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 you know, and you self-water it, it just grows and grows and grows. Before you know it, you've talked yourself out of whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And so many people, they talk themselves out of success all the time. You know, they talk themselves out of relationships. They talk, like, just think about a guy, you know, um, you're, you're in India right now, right? Yes. You, do you have clubs, like uh, clubs in India, like discos where people go to meet girls and stuff like that, you know, in India? You have that in India? Yes. So, Matt, so, you know, whatever guy, you know, what do guys do when they see a girl that they're attracted to at a club often? You know, they, they, you know, they want to talk to her, but then they talk themselves out of it. They say, oh, she's probably going to say no. She's probably not going to like me. She's probably going to embarrass me in front of my friends. These are all of the things they talk themselves out of going to talk to that girl, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's it's mental toughness is all about it's all about at the end of the day it's all about controlling the mind mm-hmm. you know because we as human beings we allow along with negative self-talk we allow our bodies to dictate to our minds what it will and will not do when it should be the other round or way around our minds need to dictate to our bodies 
and what it will and will not do. And again, the way you can learn to do that and, and be more intentional about doing that is challenging yourself, putting yourself in challenging situations. And that's why, you know, fitness is often a great tool to use. You know, like if you're gonna go on the run, like, hey, this is a good example. On treadmills, you have treadmills? I'm sure you have a treadmill out there, right? So yeah. when you run outside, when you just run outside, and you, as you get tired, your body just naturally slows down because it can. When you're running on a treadmill and you have it on like 9.5 miles per hour or you know whatever, and you're tired, you can't slow down unless you physically push the button to slow, to slow, to decrease the speed of the treadmill. You know what you do? You get on the treadmill, you put it on a challenge of speed, and then you you hold it and you watch how your body starts saying, stop, yeah. slow down. And then you use your mind to say, no, I'm gonna keep going, I'm gonna keep going another step. Treadmill is a great tool to, to help build mental toughness because you can't slow down until you physically push the button. And you can't physically push the button unless your mind tells you, tells you to push the button. So that's a great way to build mental strength and mental fortitude. Again, putting yourself in a challenging situation. You can use something physical like the treadmill. You can use something, uh, you know, like a deadline for work. There's a lot of different things you can use. I advocate for the treadmill because that's what really helped me with my mental, you know, growing my mental toughness. And that's something that a lot of people could do, you know, easily. Yeah, th thanks for sharing that. Uh, Remy, if yeah. you could also tell us, you know, uh, when you were a young Special Force operator, so how was your first combat experience and various learnings from that? Yeah, you know, my first, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was everything I trained to do, right? So in training, what we do, we have a saying, you know, train to, um, like, train, fight how you train, train how you fight, mm -hmm. right? So essentially it's like, you know, and our training is way harder sometimes than actually being in a okay. physical shootout, right? Mm -hmm. Because we, you know, like, I remember when we'd go through training, you know, we'd have our instructors, the SEAL instructors who were instructing our SEAL platoon, we'd have them kill half the platoon. Hey, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. And not only do you have to continue to firefight, but you got to carry that platoon out, your guys out, right? So, and it's 120 degrees outside, so it's not fun. And so, like, my first experience in combat was, I just did what I was trained to do. It wasn't like a shock. It wasn't like, it was just like, trust your training. That's another saying we have in our community. I just trusted my training. And I got the, I've gotten the best training in the world. I had faith in the training that I was given. And I just applied what I, what I, what I was taught. And so, and it worked. And it worked. You know, I didn't get killed. None of the, you know, none of the guys on my team got killed. We almost got killed. But because we trusted our training. You know, and, and, and then I took that with me the rest of my career, you know, obviously was, you know, the training works, trust it. You saw that it works because in your first combat situation, when you were shot at and people trying to kill you and you were in a firefight, you know, you trusted that training and you applied the principle. So when you see it works, now continue to do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that, that can apply to, to so many other aspects of life. You know, when you get good training, uh, education, you know, in certain things, you got to trust your training. You know, okay. and sometimes, you know, your, your, your training is not in an education system. Sometimes it's just the things that you've done that just worked, you know, and it's could be so easy to fall out of doing what has worked, 
especially when you're uncomfortable, especially when you're, you know, if you're fearful and, you know, you're, you, you, it's so easy for you to, to just run or do something that's out of the norm, you know, instead of just do what you're trying to do. Got it. So Remy, if you could also describe it for us, you know, uh, as you evolved uh, as a special force operator, what was your mindset when you actually went into combat? What used to go through your mind? I mean, it's what was going through my mind was just again, it's simple. I, I, I'm trying to find a different answer, but just do what you're trying to do. Get the job done. Don't let your teammates down. Like, don't do something or not do something that's going to lead to the death or serious injury of your teammate. Like, it's just that. And, and, and all of that comes from my training, you know? So when I was going to, it's, it's like, it's almost like you're on autopilot because you do stuff so much that it's like muscle memory, mm. you know? And so it's, 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 it all comes back to training, you know? It's, you know, as an operator, it's just like, you know, what worked, what didn't work, you know? Learning from the mistakes that you made in training, like uh, applying those, those lessons in, on a battlefield, you know, I, I mean, that may not be the answer you're looking for, but that's that's just a that's just a straightforward answer, you know. Got got it, Remy. So, so Remy, if you could also tell us, you know, because you have been into multiple combats as a Navy SEAL operator, so right. any three life lessons that you have learned from the battlefield which you still cherish, what would they be? Lessons. Yes, lessons from the battlefield. Um, I already touched on touch your trainer, trust your trainer, so I won't touch on that again. Um. I mean, there's a lot, so it's just hard for me to pinpoint one, but let me think of a lesson. Um, and then they comes back to team. You know, for me, like that's the biggest, the biggest lesson that I learned that I apply today is that it's all about team. You know, it's all about, you know, everybody knowing their role and operating in their role and trusting your teammates, trusting your trainer, but also trusting your teammates, mm. right? So when you're in a situation, like you're not gonna, I, I was a medic, but I was also a, a human god. I wasn't expected to be able to do everything. I wasn't a sniper, you know, I wasn't a breacher, but I had to be able to trust my breacher. Yeah. I had to be able to trust my sniper. I had to be able to trust my OIC, right? Mm. So there's a saying, the ultimate weapon is team. Mm. That's the saying. So the new modern warfare game is using that as their slogan for this new modern warfare video game. That's because that comes from a that's a special forces saying the you know team is the ultimate weapon, and, and you know there are no Johnny Rambo's. You know there are no like in the movies you have this one yeah. guy just running around doing it. This none of that exists. It's all about the team, and it's all about knowing your role and operating within your role, so that the whole team, so that the team as a whole will be effective. And trusting that your teammate is going to knows his role and and he's going to be successful in, in doing his role. It's all team, and that's that 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 was the biggest lesson I learned going into combat is that you know you can't you can't do it on your own. You need to have and you need to be when you don't know something or you're you're, you're feeling weak. You need to be willing to speak up and say, "Hey, I need a hand here." Or I need you know like I remember going on a deployment where it was going to be. A, a handful of us, about eight of us, and we were going to be the only guys in this particular country. Our closest QRF was going to be on another continent. And we all like trained within our specialties to a T because we knew that 
I knew that if somebody got shot, right, and and it was like a like it was a potentially fatal wound, like nobody was going to keep that teammate alive. Mm. Nobody was going to like it was on me to keep that me and my other medic to keep that uh, teammate alive. We weren't going to be able to depend on a doctor flying in or a doctor driving in because we didn't. So so we had to know our roles and operate in those roles and we have to trust that each other was going to operate in their role and that's that's the biggest lesson i've learned and again i apply it today in business you know in entertainment like i have i have a team i have my agent i have my publicist i have my lawyer i have brad who you met and works with me i have my team so i gotta trust that they're gonna you know do their job and they gotta trust that i'm gonna do my job and we all got to be, we all have to do our jobs in order for the team as a whole to be effective. You know, you know, rising tide, there's a saying that rising tides raise all ships. So as the tide rises, not one ship is going to be raised, but also if, we're, if one person does something great, then that helps the entire team together, right? Yeah. And so um, I, I apply even to my family, you know. I have, my, I have my wife, I have my nanny, we have like, a, you know, we have, you know, our, 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 we have our teachers that, private teachers that come teach our kids, like my, my kids, you know, even them, like at our house, like at, at dinner time, like they all have different things they have to do. They got like one person has to set the table, one person has to, you know, you know, wipe the table down, one person has to get the mats, right? And we, we're trying to instill that lesson into our kids. It's, it's about team. Everybody has to put in effort. Everyone has to do their job. You know, nobody can't slack. So that's the biggest lesson I learned on Battlefield. And that's the lesson that I take with me today. Makes sense. So Remy, you spoke about, you know, importance of team. If you could also, you know, uh, highlight how do you look at leadership, you know, and how did your experience in the military help you develop those leadership skills? Yeah, so leadership is... Um, for me, a leader is a servant at the end of the day. Like a good, a good leader is a good servant. A good leader is aware that he's not there to be served. He's there to serve, mm. right? I have a, there's a saying that I kind of came up with that, thing that, that, you know, I learned in the military and it's every great leader will never make you do something that they have not done or that they are not willing to do, right? So if you're a great leader, if I'm a great leader, I'm not going to make you do something as my subordinate or as my follower that I have not done or that I would never in a million years be willing to do. Mm -hmm. Everything that I tell, I tell my subordinates, my followers, my teammates to do, it has to be because I've done it or I'm willing to do it. And they have to know. And it can't be a thing where I can say, like, I, you know, I say to Brad, hey, go climb that mountain, right? And, uh, and he's like, yeah, what do you and I say, yeah, I'm willing to do it when I'm really not. It's an integrity piece to this whole thing as well, yeah. right? So, so that's why you know I, you know, I'm, I'm blessed with the, uh, you know, in my past I've grown up and I had a hard life, to have gone through hard relationships, to have been in the military, uh, to have a family, to have gone to college, got my master's degree, you know, you know, went to acting school before, you know, while trying to act. I've done a lot of things that has that have been hard to get to where I'm at and, and has taken time. You know, none of what has happened to me has happened overnight. It all has taken time. Yeah. And so 
if a follower comes along or somebody comes along and works for me or and I'm tasking them to do something that's hard, it's because I've done it or I'm willing to do it. But for sure, I've most likely done it, right? And, and that's my biggest thing with leaders. It's like if you can if you can lead with the mindset of being a servant leader where people are not here to serve you, your people are you're meant to your position is to serve those below you. Mm. And you know, that second thing, you know, not making people do stuff that, you know, because you'll get leaders sometimes that it's their job to do something, but they'll pass it off to a follower because mm. they don't want to do it. It'll be like, yeah. you just do it. And it's like, there's no integrity in that. There's no service in that, you know? There's no real connection to your people by doing that. You lose, uh, you know, it, it destroys your self-esteem. It's, it destroys the morale of the team. Another thing, you know, on leadership that I learned in the military, specific, specifically in the SEAL teams, was you have to care about those you lead. You have to take a genuine interest in them. You can't see them as just a stepping stone to get to the next rank or to make a million dollars. You have to look at them as a genuine person. You have to take a genuine interest in them, you know, and you have to be willing to say, you know, you have to get to know them. Hey, how's your mom? How's your, how's your dad? How's your family members? How, what can I do? How are you feeling today? Like you have to take a genuine interest in them because when a, when a subordinate or follower knows that their leader cares about them, doesn't just see them as a stepping stone, yeah. then, that, then that follower will run through walls for that leader. Like, and I've experienced it myself where I've had leaders in the military, outside of the SEAL teams primarily, where I could tell that they didn't care about me. They were rude to me, treating me like garbage, they didn't care about me. You know, they had no interest in me. All I was was a stepping stone so they can get to the next rank. Hmm. Yeah, I did my job. I still did my job because I had to I had a job I had to do. But I just did my job. I just met the standard. Versus when I got into the SEAL teams and I had leaders that really cared and showed a genuine interest in me. Not only did I do my job, but I wanted to go above and beyond for that leader. I wanted to go above and beyond because I saw that that leader cared about me. Because that leader cared about me, I wanted to. I wanted to show my leader that I cared about him and that and that I want that leader to shine even more. I want that leader to be able to go to his bosses and his bosses saying, you and your men are doing a great job. Like I wanted to go above and beyond because this guy showed genuine interest in me. So those are my three things when it comes to leadership. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Remy, I have one more question. So since yeah. you've operated in the special forces, so uh, you would have also, you know, got a chance to even exercise or operate with the other special forces uh, from the other countries as well. So how do you look at those interactions with them? And, you know, how do you think, rate them, you know, how, how well are they? Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I never got a chance to operate with other special forces overseas. Okay. I guess with my other uh, countries, special forces. I didn't get a chance to operate with other, uh, uh, with like SAS or SBS or Grom or any of those guys overseas. I didn't train. So I have like in training work with like the Korean Rocks, which are the Korean SEALs. And um, and um, uh, it was, I think, a guy from Poland in my training. Um, there was a guy from India in my training. Okay. Uh, he got sent to, yeah. Um, um, there's a guy from, a few guys from Egypt that I did training with. So yeah. Nice. But and the, the best guys, man, were the Korean Rocks, man. Those 
those guys are hardcore dudes, man. Like those were, yeah. Cause they go through our SEAL training, the same SEAL training in Korea, but you know, Korea's winters are, are like in the negatives, man. So they're still getting after it though. So yeah, those are some tough nuggets, man. Got it. Uh, so Remy, if you could also speak about, you know, uh, the airborne training that you have undergone and any memories that you have from that when you jumped out of an aircraft. Yeah, yeah. So I've done a static line. I've done free fall, um, halo, hey-ho. Um, I love skydiving. I still skydive on my own. I live not too far from a skydive center and I still okay. skydive. Uh, today, you know, uh, fun. I love, I love jumping, man. I love jumping. Got it. Uh, so if you could describe, you know, your first experience when you jumped off Niagara, how did that feel like for you? Uh, it was a bit, bit nerve-wracking, that's for sure. I was nervous because I never jumped out of a plane before. And, uh, you know, despite having grown up around tall buildings and living in tall buildings, I still had, you know, like most people are afraid of heights. But, uh, you know, I had to conquer my fear, you know, because there's no way I was going to get my traveling if I didn't jump out the plane. So it was, there was some nerves there. But after you do it the first time, after that, it's like, it's normal. I mean, it's just like once you conquer and once you see you're not going to die, you know, uh, because at the end of the day, that's where all fear comes from. Or you could tie every person's fear to death. They fear spiders because they don't want to get bitten and die. They fear snakes because they don't want to get bitten and die. They fear heights because they don't want to fall off and die. They fear water because they don't want to drown. Like you could probably tie, they fear the dark because they don't want something to come out and get them. You could tie almost every fear to death. Anytime somebody is fearful of something, it's because in some way, whether big or small, they feel like they're going to die from it, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, once you conquer that fear, once you real, once you once I jumped out of that plane, and I was still alive, landed on the ground, I was still alive. And just like, oh, I'm not dead. I wasn't going to die. I just had to trust my training, like I spoke yeah. about before. I just had to trust the training that I was given and apply the training that I was given, and then. Everything's all good. And I did that. And that's what essentially, um, you know, that's that's uh, uh, that's what helped me overcome my fear and eventually get through free fall and static on jump school. Got it. So, Remy, if you could also speak about, you know, the most challenging experience that you have, uh, you know, faced during your tenure in the service, what would that be? And how did you overcome that challenging experience? Uh, you know, the hardest experience for me in the military in general is, and there's no way to ever overcome it, in my opinion, is losing friends. You know, I've had a lot of um, SEAL brothers. I mean, it all behind me. That, um, you can see that picture I'm pointing to right there. Yes. That, that, that uh, plaque right there. That's yes. uh, that all the guys, that's a few guys I've worked with who have uh, been killed in operations. And, uh, uh that's the challenge man uh is uh that and that's it's losing your brothers because you'll never get them back and it's hard you know and and and, and you know um as time can heal wounds at times but sometimes it doesn't you know um so that that's and that is, i don't think that that's something you could ever get over i mean I, like i just had a marine i served with commit suicide uh about three weeks ago you know, I, it was like every every few months, somebody, whether it's SEAL teams or Marine that I serve with, uh, commit suicide. 
So, you know, it's something I still live with. It's something, you know, still a challenge, you know, getting over that, you know. Mm, yes, makes sense. So, Remy, if you could also tell us, you know, you have been in the SEAL team. So, uh, after that, you transitioned into, you know, an actor, a filmmaker, and an author. How did that happen for you? Yeah, you know, I got out in January 2016, and then I didn't quite know what I was going to do. I had some ideas of what I was going to do. I wanted to go, I was getting my master's in organizational strategy and I figured I would go into business consulting. And then uh, and, and a few months later, I got a phone call to work on Transformers. And that was my first kind of, that was my first four years into, into the entertainment business. Mm. And I enjoyed it. I, I've always loved storytelling. I've, ever since I was a kid, I loved movies, but I always loved the idea of telling a story. And uh, so I, you know, I did some consulting on films and TV shows and commercials and then started acting and then that acting turned into writing and then writing turned into directing. And, you know, now I'm a writer director and, I, and, and there's no other job I want to do in this world than be a writer director, you know, so I love it. I love telling stories. I directed my first film. Um, um, short films, a 32 minute short film on human trafficking. I just finished writing um, the feature version of that film. And interestingly, the opening of the film takes place in India. Okay. Um, I did a lot of research on India. Um, and uh, because that's that, that's how I opened up the film. And then I have the scene at the end back in India with his family in India. And, uh, and, and yeah, man, I just love, I love filmmaking, man. I love creating a story story from the beginning, um, writing that story, creating previous uh, concept art, and then directing. I love telling stories. There's, there's no, no other thing that kind of fires me up in, in writing and, and directing stories. Yeah, makes sense. So let me, my final question to you would be, you know, because I've seen a lot of your photos uh, with the weapon. Yeah. So what was your favorite weapon when you went into combat? Uh, I, I was an M, uh, you know, I carried an M4, AR-15, AR, black people knows AR-15, M4, uh, okay. with an EOTech, uh, a short CQBR barrel, which is a shorty, um, had a suppressor on it, all kitted out with a uh, Ford grip on it, and, uh, yeah, man, that was my, that was my thing, man, that was my thing, I was a medic, you know, so, um, I couldn't carry the the heavy gun, you know, because I was a I was a medic, I was a corner, but mm. that was uh that was my favorite weapon. Yeah. Yeah, thank thanks a lot, Remy, for your time on this session. I yeah. hope a lot of my viewers will get an understanding of how life of a Navy Seas looks like and various life in the gear of shared from your battlefield. A lot of them will learn from that. So thanks a lot, Remy, for your time on the session. Uh, thank you, thank you, and uh thank you to your followers and I hope everyone enjoys it. Yeah. Thank you. Bye bye. Have a nice God day. Bless. All right, you too.